Hello, Scuttlebutt listeners. Today we have an incredibly awesome guest. We have the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps, Troy Black. Troy, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing well, and I gotta be honest with you, the last time someone called me Troy was my mom, like in 1988, so I almost got taken aback right there. Well, I apologize. It's a joke, it's a joke, it's a joke. <laughs> it's, it's okay, joke. I'm a civilian, so I, <laughs> I know, it's a joke, I'm, not, I'm not getting uh, any, uh, any punishments, hopefully. But uh, well, well, thanks for getting on our show. So uh, for our listeners who may be less informed, do you mind uh, telling what the, uh, about your position as Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps? Yeah, uh, I represent, as the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps, the entirety of the Marine Corps enlisted force. In accordance with uh, the end strength of our Corps, about 20,000 of that 180,000 force is active duty officers. And there's also a reserve component of officers, about four or 5,000. The rest of the entire Marine Corps is enlisted. So I have the opportunity to, to represent to our Commandant all the enlisted Marines. Awesome. So for uh, our enlisted Marines who come to Modern Day Marine, this is a very good educational opportunity for them. How do you uh, recommend that they best use this time to, to further their understanding and, and, and increase their ability to perform their duty? Yeah, first of all, I would say anyone that can find the opportunity to come to Modern Day Marine, they need to do so. Now, the first time I got exposed to Modern Day Marine, I was in uh, the career school, and the listeners will know what that is, back in 1999 in Quantico. And while I was there, it happened to be when Modern Day Marine was there. Here's some of the importance of that. Some of the importance of that is when I was in the career course and I was at Modern Day Marine uh, doing PME there, uh, it was the first time I got to see an MV-22 Osprey. It was still like experimental. We were kind of seeing that capability. And really, it wasn't for a number of years later that that capability became something that we used in combat. It was fascinating to be able to see what the future opportunity as far as gear, equipment, and technology was going to be. So every single year when we do Modern Day Marine, it's really to exhibit to the force, to the Marine Corps, to all the contributors and in industry, how the war Marine Corps intends to fight, how it impacts the individual Marine, and ultimately anything that we do here. It's all about what are the impacts of the individual Marine that makes up that team that trains and fights and ultimately wins. Looking at how the character of war is changing, especially with uh, events going on in Ukraine, what capabilities do you recommend when Marines come here that they look at that they uh, may not or uh, think about bef uh, beforehand? Like, what, what should they look at to understand the future changing character of war? Um, I, think the, I think the jury's still out on all the lessons we can learn from Ukraine, right? But here are a couple things that we, we can learn. And I'll speak very big and bring it down to the tactical level really quickly. Uh, one, protracted conflict is a possibility. What that means is this thing did not end in two or three weeks. So time is a f still a factor in warfare. And then it comes down to capabilities. Like what are the things that are being used right now? What are the technologies? What domains do we see conflict being operated in right now? It's not just sea, land, and air, right? There's space involved in this conflict. There is some subsurface potentially that's being involved in this. There is... Um, all manner of new technologies that are being utilized right now in modern conflict, multi-domain conflict in Ukraine. However, with all of that technology, it really still comes down to what are the actions of the individual leaders that make decisions on the battlefield in this very complex environment it comes down to leadership and the tactical ability and warfighting ethos, the heart that someone has to go in and defend your nation, right? Defend your way of life, defend your freedom. That's pretty, that's pretty powerful. It doesn't matter what that conflict looks like, ultimately it comes down to the will. How modern day Marine is part of that. 
because we get to see the things here in this building, right? We see the technologies being used. A lot of those same technologies, the concepts are here. They may even be part of that, that, that conflict at some point in time, or they definitely will be if we get to utilize them. But they get put in the hands of the Marines. This is useless equipment if it's not put in the hand of a well-trained Marine. This is about war fighting. It's about winning. Thank you. Vic, do you have anything? No, Sergeant Major, it's so great to see you. <laughs> and just for clarity for the, for the, for the audience, uh, Vic, you hear, you hear my first name. I get to call him by his first name. He's my former commanding officer uh, when we were in our third tracks together. So, sir, it's good to see you. Yeah, it's really great to yeah. see you. Yeah, this is, uh, this is great. And so th thank you for coming on. Yeah, yes, sir. Um, it's really great. So we, we, talking about this time as a factor when we're thinking about war, and I know Commandant has mentioned on multiple occasions how logistics is the pacing function. That's correct. As we look forward. As, we, as we're here at Modern Day Marine, we see a lot of things where, you know, rounds are going downrange. We're facilitating that. Where do you see um, technology helping bring logistics, the pacing function, uh, to meet the needs and demand, especially when you're looking at stand-in forces, expeditionary advanced basing? I know there's a Gazette article where they had mentioned, you know, we're seeing uh, the civilian side of the house. Yeah delivery and, and those sorts of things. Are we looking to sort of mirror or were you trying to find a niche within these emerging technologies or existing technologies? Like what, how, do, how, do you, how do you guys envision um, that sustained, that factoring in time into the right. war fighting? I think that's a great question. Uh, here's the reason why. And, and I, I don't like to provide history lessons, but, but let's have one really quickly. Uh, so a Cold War ends. We don't have a we don't have a natural, you know, geopolitical right. competitor as a nation. So we built a force. We built a force that was designed in the early 80s, actually, before we didn't have that competitor any longer. And we fought that force. We're kind of still kind of toying around with how to, how to move out of that force. What were the advantages of the 1990s and the 2000s and the 2010s? Our adversaries didn't have the capability to touch our logistics. Mm. Whether that be in uh, resources, right? We're not, we're not really challenged by Iraq or Afghanistan uh, to get after the actual, like, the resources, the, right. the minerals, the, the actual proprietary technologies, right? That we're not in competition with them on that. Mm -hmm. We are now. Um, economically, you didn't, we were not challenged by those adversaries. We are now. So how does that contribute to logistics? One, supply, the, the, the actual industrial base and the supply base to be able to provide enough of both mm -hmm. things and support to those things to get into a theater to, to, to fight at the competitor level. Yeah. Think about uh, what we see right now in Ukraine as an example to what you asked the question. Here's what we do know. With a very well uh, supplied uh, capability from the entirety of NATO and other nations, Ukraine has been able to compete and maintain and be able to actually be on the offense against Russia. Mm -hmm. Russia's failing. They did not consider logistics. They, they, have, they still have not figured it out. Now, right. we'll see what the future holds. How does that impact us? Think about things that we know already. It was 2011 and 12 when I was in Afghanistan with a combat, combat logistics battalion. We were already using unmanned resupply. I, I think I saw you at the debt factory. Yeah. Did we run into each we other did, there sir. at we the Dwyer? <laughs> yeah. And at the same time, like the K-Max, this, this aircraft, right, being remote piloted right, by right. some guys out in, out in LZ, was flying, were flying supplies out to locations, and there weren't humans in them. Now, imagine if you take that, multiply it 
cost and scale. It's cheaper than a larger platform. It's less risk, uh, it's, it's risk averse because it doesn't have humans in it, so you can actually multiply that. And now you can send it remotely, give it its location, off it goes. It just comes back by itself. It's, being, it's, it's automated yep. in that case, right? Yep. How does that scale? Uh, think about right now, uh, if the Marine Corps does an amphibious operation, how we're resupplied. It's by a limited number of connectors. It's LCACs. Yep. It's an LCU, you know, mm -hmm. putting along, which are very viable. We have to have more of those things. But how can you increase that scale? Yeah, no, all those, you have to factor in sleep and yeah, rest all of and that, right? chow. Yeah, yeah. For in the meantime, from a secure logistics hub somewhere tens of thousands of miles away or thousands of miles away, underwater, remotely piloted, offshore to this operation, there's already, there's already logistics staged. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's, it's subsurface. It got there on its own while the assault force tries to get. So just think in those terms, yeah, so yeah. just from, from the, the industrial base down to how it applies tactically, all of that logistics is still relevant and resolute to success. Yeah. Uh, Sun Tzu talked about it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, he mentioned right? it once or twice. <laughs> yeah. Thank you again for coming in. I know you're busy today. So as our last final question, we like to ask this to all of our guests who come on who uh, served in the Marine Corps. What was your best day in the Marine Corps? Say Echo Company third tracks. <laughs> it would be, if except for uh, <laughs> when I went, met my wife. Thanks, sir. Nice there try. <laughs> Quick story. And most of the Marines know this that are on here because I've told this story a thousand times. But I, I was a DI school instructor in 2000, early 2001. And I was marching my squad across to, to the parade deck. And my wife, who was a drill instructor at the time, was driving down the road. And as I was crossing the road, I put the road guards out. The squad went across. I'm putting the road guards in. I was the drill instructor as an instructor. I, I was getting ready to leave the road. And, like, my wife almost ran me over with a truck because she was yakking to somebody next to her in the seat, not paying attention. This is before cell phones. Just talking <laughs> was dangerous, right? So, literally, she almost ran me over. That was the best day of my life. One, because I didn't die. And, secondly, I, I met my wife, who, who, who really, uh, who's, who's now retired from the Marine Corps, there are many reasons why we are successful in life. I would not be on this podcast with you right now had that day not occurred. I'm, 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 that's a fact. Well, thank you for that, sir. Appreciate that's awesome. it. Thanks, Sergeant Major. Really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks, sir. I appreciate you. Right. Thanks. Scuttlebutt is a production of the Marine Corps Association. I am William Trudy. But you've also heard the voices or contributions of Nick Rubel, USMC retired, Nancy Lichman, retired Frazier. The opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect the official stance of the Marine Corps, DOD, or Marine Corps Association.